ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. What happens when Vladimir Putin gives an incredibly rare interview to a conservative American media commentator at the height of a war and it lasts for more than two hours? Well, the answer is Putin wins. So what was the real reason behind Tucker Carlson's interview with the Russian leader? Today, Professor Gordon Flake, the CEO of the Perth US Asia Centre at the Uni of Western Australia, on how it all plays into Donald Trump's push for the White House. I'm Sam Hawley on Gadigal Land in Sydney. This is ABC News Daily. The following is an interview with the President of Russia, Vladimir Putin, are we having a talk show or a serious conversation? <laughs> if you don't mind, I will take only 30 seconds or one minute to give you a short reference to history for giving you a little historical background. Please. Gordon, we're going to unpack this interview with Vladimir Putin and discuss its significance. But first, I think you should remind all of us who Tucker Carlson is. Uh, so he is a former Fox News media personality, someone actually ironically who probably 30 years ago, 20 years ago, was seen to be on the progressive side of the spectrum, but kind of a leader in what you would call infotainment. So someone who's not been on the news side of Murdoch Media, or the news side of Fox News, but has always been on the commentary side and increasingly uh, on the kind of pro-Donald Trump right side eventually was dismissed from Fox News and now has his own podcast, but a very fervent following among what we would call MAGA Republicans or Make America Great Again Republicans. He flew to Moscow to interview Vladimir Putin. So just tell me, Gordon, why do you think Vladimir Putin agreed to be interviewed by Tucker Carlson when there were so many, of course, journalists who have asked for interviews with him before? That's not the right question. <laughs> the right question is, why did Tucker Carlson agree to be used by Vladimir Putin? Uh-huh. Because, you know, respected real journalists, you know, who, who abide by, regardless of whatever political leanings they might have, abide by basic journalistic standards, uh, practices and norms, have been trying to interview Putin for years, and he's rejected those interviews. Tucker Carlson presents himself as the only one who's willing to interview Putin, but he's someone who's willing to interview Putin on his terms. And clearly, the perception from the Russians and from Vladimir Putin himself is that he'd be a useful idiot. Mm. He'd be someone that he could use uh, to get his message out, particularly to get his message out to a ready audience, an audience that's already predisposed to, to want to hear the things that Tucker Carlson has been saying about Russia for several years now. Just explain for me that term, useful idiot, for people who don't understand it. Well, I mean, the, the term is that obviously you're getting someone who's a tool, who, who's, who you're able to use to advance your agenda. Um, and again, I actually don't think Tucker Carlson's an idiot, and that actually makes this more of a damning uh, indictment because in the end, it, it's 
still quite bizarre to me that you know the the party of Ronald Reagan, you know, the conservative, allegedly conservative part of American politics, is so susceptible to uh, and inclined towards uh, Russia at this point, mm. which is again a stark difference from where they were during the Cold War and in, in most of the decades since. In a video explaining why he conducted the interview, Mr. Carlson said it was because Americans aren't aware of what's really happening in Ukraine, that they're being lied to in some way by the mainstream media. Americans have a right to know all they can about a war they're implicated in. And we have the right to tell them about it because we are Americans too. Freedom of speech is our birthright. We were born with the and as it turned out, as you mentioned, it was far less of an interview than a platform for the Russian president to say whatever he wanted to say. And it was rather bizarre in parts, wasn't it? It certainly was. In some respects, I think it probably will have backfired in the long run just because letting someone like Vladimir Putin just ramble on for two hours straight isn't always a good idea. Letting Putin, Putin kind of be Putin undermines the, the broader political narrative of the Russians that it's not their fault, right? Because he, he makes it pretty clear uh, what his intent is in Ukraine. And, and that's uh, not a message that I think they probably want out. Mm, what do you think were the key points in this two-hour diatribe from the Russian leader? I mean, was there anything that really stuck out to you? Well, interestingly enough, it's all been said before. But may, may I ask you, you're making the case that that Ukraine, certainly parts of Ukraine, Eastern Ukraine is in, in effect Russia has been for hundreds of years. Why wouldn't you just take it when you became president 24 years ago? You have nuclear weapons, they don't. If it's actually your land, why did you wait so long? Sure. I'll tell you. I'm coming to that. This briefing is coming to an end. It might be boring, but it explains many things. I just don't know how it's relevant. Good. Good. I'm so gratified that you appreciate that. Thank you. Putin has written it, he said it, so there really wasn't a lot of what uh, the, you would describe as news in the interview. We never agreed to NATO's expansion, and moreover, we never agreed that Ukraine would be in NATO. We did not agree to NATO bases there without any discussion with us. To Tucker Carlson's credit, the, the one little flick of, of light in there was at the very end where he pushed quite hard, uh, at least normally hard on the Russians' detention of a Wall Street Journal reporter. Mm. Without getting into the details of it or your version of what happened, if as a sign of your decency, you would be willing to release him to us and we'll bring him back to the United States. We have done so many gestures of goodwill out of decency that I think we have run out of them. That was good. But other than that, you know, it, it, it is a clear statement of Russia's view of the world, which is, is inconsistent with history and fact. Gordon, that's the interview. So now I want to unpack its importance because this was an interview largely for an American audience, right? It was, but more specifically for a 
pro-Trump, MAGA Republican audience. It's a targeted message, as much of Russia's efforts have been for, for a decade now. Mm, so what's the purpose of it, though? What To increase support for Putin among Trump supporters in America? Is that what it was for? Absolutely. And, and I would say to increase support for Trump among those MAGA Republicans, right? You know, they, they, they've had a very powerful narrative throughout. And it's a narrative uh, which has benefited Donald Trump all the way back from 2015, the election of 2016 on. At the same time, Donald Trump has been on the campaign trail on the weekend complaining about NATO countries not paying enough to fund the organisation. The president of a big country stood up and said, well, sir, uh, if we don't pay and we're attacked by Russia, will you protect us? I said, you didn't pay, you're delinquent. He said, yes, let's say that happened. No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You got to pay. You got to pay your bills. So I guess we should look now then, Gordon, at whether the interview is significant enough that it could actually change anything, particularly when it comes to the US election this year. What's your initial thoughts on that? No, I don't think it's going to have a big impact on changing people's minds. What it does do is complicate an already very complicated political picture in the US Congress. Uh, so right now you've, you've got you know, a very difficult situation where Republicans have finally gotten you know, the most conservative, you know, the most hard-hitting kind of immigration bill ever in the last 30 years. And because Donald Trump has, has been opposed to it, they're not able to go forward. Right now, this week, the Republicans have tried to split off support for Ukraine from that and, and get that voted separately. And that's facing very strong Republican opposition, particularly from the most MAGA of the Republicans, both in the Senate, and but particularly in the House. So this type of messaging and the skepticism about Ukraine the more that's fomented among their base, the harder it comes for Republican politicians to move forward with Ukraine aid. So there is that very immediate policy impact, less of a, of a political impact unless you, uh, you know, calculate the, the impact of, of ongoing crisis in Ukraine on the election itself uh, in November. Mm, so Republican support for this aid to Ukraine is at risk. And of course, Ukraine is so heavily reliant on that funding, isn't it, to keep up its fight with Russia. In the interview, Vladimir Putin said if America was to stop funding weapons to Ukraine, the war would be over within weeks. <laughs> and in the immediate aftermath of the interview, you've had US senators such as uh, Tommy Tuberville coming out and, and basically repeating the, the line of, of Vladimir Putin. Uh, and it, it you know, again, I actually don't believe that's true. Ukrainian resistance is aided by American and international aid, mm -hmm. but it's not the source of it, right? The source of it is their, at this point, uh, sense of their own sovereignty and their resistance to a Russian invasion. Mm, but it's going to be pretty good, isn't it, for Vladimir Putin if Donald Trump was re-elected later this year? Absolutely. So this interview shows just how open some Americans are to Russia's perspective on the world and that 
they actually want to listen to its leader. They care what he says and thinks. You know, so the, the Russians, you know, are aware of fissures in American society and they have been amplifying and exploiting those fissures. That was the core conclusion of, of the Russia interference in the U.S. election of 2016. And it remains true today. The interview between Tucker Carlson and Vladimir Putin is just a further manifestation of the same thing, continuing to divide Americans. The, the thing I find surprising is not that the Russians are trying to do that, is the relative susceptibility of that to you know, previously respected political leaders on the national level who are actually facilitating that. Um, and ironically, I think if, if you look at the Republicans in Congress, there are very few who actually agree with any of that. But their fear of the electoral power of Donald Trump is such that they have they have all cowed. So tell me, Gordon, what are the risks for America from all of this, for America and its allies like Australia and its role on the world stage? You know, so the real risk is that I'm hesitant to overstate the impact of this one interview, mm -hmm. but the risk is that if Donald Trump is indeed re-elected, the U.S. support for Ukraine will evaporate. U.S. support for NATO will evaporate, at least on the political level, in a Donald Trump America. I actually, I don't think it's hyperbole to say it's an existential threat to American democracy, and at the same time, an existential threat to the international system that the U.S. has been so integral to building in the post-World War II era. Professor Gordon Flake is the CEO of the Perth US Asia Centre at the Uni of Western Australia. This episode was produced by Bridget Fitzgerald and Nell Whitehead. Audio production by Sam Dunn. Our supervising producer is David Cody. I'm Sam Hawley. To get in touch with the team, please email us on ABC News Daily at abc.net.au. Thanks for listening.